All right, we just sang the song that said hallelujah in it two times. And hallelujah is an Old Testament Hebrew word. It's actually two words in Hebrew. It's hallel and yah. And yah is God's name, Yahweh, I am. And hallel means praise. So in English, hallelujah means praise the Lord. We begin to use hallelujah as a response when something good happens or we want to say thank you to God. We say hallelujah. That has nothing to do with what it means. Hallelujah is a command. Every single time it is used in the Old Testament, it is a command. You praise the Lord. It isn't a response to God of thankfulness. Uh, It isn't, oh yes, praise the Lord. It isn't some golf clap. Oh yes, God is good. It means you praise the Lord. And in your English translation, when you're reading the Bible, most likely you're not going to see the word hallelujah. You're going to see praise the Lord. But every time, especially like in Psalms, if you're reading your Bible and it says praise the Lord, it is hallelujah, hallel, yah. And hallel is saying that it means praise the Lord or praise Yahweh is really a pretty dumbed down translation of what hallel means. Hallel means to spin and dance and jump until you are delirious. Hallelujah means to be deliriously happy before God. And it is a command, not a suggestion, not a prayer or a wish. It's a command. You be deliriously happy in the presence of God. So I'm working on this sermon through the week. And overnight, I'm thinking about it as I'm awake in the night, and, and the Lord says, you know what, Mitch? You've been reading that, and you're prepared to say that in the morning, but you haven't done it this week. I'm like, oh, hmm, you're right. I haven't. So this morning, I'm getting ready to come to church, and it's, uh, there's a little light and color showing on the eastern sky, and I was outside, my car was warming up, and I'm looking up at the moon, and I'm thanking God for the morning and for his mercy that's new this morning and and God's like mm-hmm, Mitch mm-hmm, why don't you hallel like oh so I look around make sure there's no neighbors outside <laughs> Lord you're good I love you thank you for loving me you're good thank you Lord thank you thank you and I felt really silly but not as silly as I feel right now <clears throat> and uh, I did not hallel because I did not go delirious Uh, But Hallel means to let go in complete abandoned joy, celebrating God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! This idea is in the New Testament also. Next scripture is Philippians 4.4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. The Greek word there for rejoice is the equivalent of the Hebrew word hallel. It means to go crazy happy, to be exuberant, to be annoyingly, bothersomely happy. You know people like that? That are just so exuberant and energetic, you're like, what are you on? I've got the Spirit of God. Hello. Rejoice. Again, that is not a suggestion. That is a command. 
repeated for emphasis. Paul and God, through Paul, wants us to know it's not a suggestion. But I don't feel that way very often. I don't feel like dancing and jumping and spinning and just being deliriously rejoicing. That's, that's a foreign feeling. Anybody else? I have good news. Neither one of those verses mentions feeling. I really like to laugh. I love to tell stupid jokes. I love really stupid comedy, you know, slapstick type movies. We love to laugh at our house and we're laughing all the time. Uh, Will and I love to trade stupid jokes. I mean, really, really dumb jokes like an invisible man and an invisible woman got married. No one knew what they saw in each other. (laughs) But their kids weren't much to look at either. So happiness is not a stranger to me, but most of the time what I feel is responsibility. I feel my to-do list. I feel pressure of work. I read all the responsibilities. Sometimes I feel happiness when I'm out in the mountains. Uh, I, f- I feel good um, camping or hunting or hiking or, or enjoying out the outdoors. I, I really feel good and happy when all of my family is together at home on a cold winter night and, you know, we're in the living room and everybody's not on their phone, uh, you know, if we're playing game together or whatever. And I, I feel that, but, but those moments are rare when I feel happy, but it's very easy to feel lonely, sad, stressed out, angry, frustrated, impatient, you know, all that. It is completely natural to feel self-pity and fear and anxiety and condemnation and rejection and doubt and worry and all those things. But to rejoice in the Lord is not easy or natural or thoughtless, as in it just comes. It would have to be something that I was extra careful, super intentional to do. Not that I don't feel praise toward God and thankfulness. I'm overcome with thankfulness sometimes, but to, to express my thankfulness physically would be really weird for me most of the time. If I am overcome with emotion of thankfulness, it's not going to show up like spinning and dancing, but that's what the word means. It's what David did when he was coming into Jerusalem in front of the ark. He was halleling, and Michael criticized him for it. God judged her. Don't judge, even silently in your heart, somebody who gets excited about God and is celebrating a little too much for you to be comfortable with. (laughs) David knew exactly how all of us feel uh, when it's just easy and natural to feel down rather than up. Loneliness or depression or anger comes super easy and to rejoice has to be an intentional decision. David knows about that. Check this out from Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of, my, of his countenance. O oh my God, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I will remember you. 
David says, my tears have been my food day and night. And then he addresses his own soul, his emotions, his personality, what the Bible calls the soul. And he says, soul, why are you cast down? Put your hope in God. He takes charge of his own feelings. He grabs his soul by the neck and says, we're going to praise God. Why are you cast down, my soul? Put your hope in God. Psalm 43, the next one, verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? There he is talking to himself again. It's not just crazy people that do that. Or, or maybe we are. Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Again, David, with his spirit, with his willpower, says to his soul, his emotions, his personality, his thoughts, he says, soul, come on. Shape up. Why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? Put your hope in God. It has to be intentional. We all feel downcast, disturbed, whatever. Put your hope in God. I will praise him. He is the help of my countenance. If you know that old-fashioned word, it means your face, but not just your face. It's the attitude of your face. Hello? When I, I tell my soul that's feeling down, shape up. Feelings, shape up, emotions, come on, personality, suck it up. And not just this willpower of, I'm not going to be down, I'm going to think on God and it will change my face. I'm not hiding negative emotions or denying that they're there, I am addressing them and I'm going to find God until it changes me. We're not being fake, we're not... uh, hiding or denying how we feel it is addressing how we feel until it changes put your hope in God I will praise him he is the help of my countenance and my God David says when I feel downcast and disturbed I will think about God until it changes my face act happy even when you don't feel like it and you will begin to feel like it Just like the more you give in to depression, the worse it's going to get. The more you act pleased and up and energetic, and the more you talk positively about God and yourself and your circumstances, the better it will get. Change your face by faith. Change your face by faith. You cannot wait till you feel like smiling to smile. That day won't come very often. Come on. Well, Mitch, that's being fake. No, it isn't. It's faith. Faith is living like something is true before it happens. So live like you're happy, even if you don't feel like it. Because the natural feelings of joy and happiness aren't there very often for most of us. Some of you are just naturally lighthearted and happy and giddy. God bless you. The rest of us don't identify. All right? Most of us are going to have to do it intentionally. Hello? There's a quote from Misty Edwards, the worship leader from IHOP. We express our love to God by resisting emotions that are contrary to his will. One of the ways we worship God and love him is by denying our feelings that are contrary to his will. Bill Johnson says, I cannot afford to have a thought in me that is contrary to his word. 
Hello. So, smiling when you don't feel happy is not being fake and it isn't lying. It's faith. When it's done toward God. Actually, when you live by faith in the Spirit, you will live the opposite of what your flesh and your feelings are. And the Word and the Spirit become so true that you actually realize my flesh and my feelings are the ones that are lying. I'm not being fake at all. I'm living in something that's more true. My feelings are not true at all. Have you not ever realized your feelings exaggerate things that, are, that they're worse than they really are? Hello? So denying your feelings is not lying because it's your feelings that are the liar. If your feelings exaggerated the situation to be much worse than it was, they are the liar. So you are not faking or lying when you smile when you don't feel like it. You're not covering up anything that's true. You're denying something that isn't true. Space in your heart or head. Every skill in life is unnatural. You didn't naturally learn how to walk or hold a spoon. So you might have to practice smiling on purpose until it becomes the thing that's natural. It takes no effort to be unhappy or sad or fearful or angry. It's going to take effort to rejoice. Intentional effort to be content and thankful and happy. So the past three weeks, I have not been doing well. If you weren't here last week, maybe you didn't hear, but Freedom, our oldest daughter, broke her leg over Christmas break, and Sarah is back in Missouri with her doing doctor appointments and stuff. And so last Sunday, I did not want to be here. If you were here, you know I was very emotional, just not because just of what happened to Freedom, and I'm without my wife for 18 days, but Will was here, and in between services, he was headed back to George Fox, and I had all the feels about that going on, while, oh, and I have to preach. I have to take care of all of you, and I love you, but if I'd have had what I wanted to do, we'd have been at Denny's having breakfast, just soaking up my last two hours with Will, but I can't come and unload all that on you and tell, well, I don't really want to be here and I'm sorry you came and uh, I feel miserable. There, there have been some Sundays in the past 11 and a half years when I've been in such terrible physical pain or emotional pain, I did not want to be here. I'm sorry if that shocked you. The pastor didn't want to come to church, but it's not often, but it, has, it happens. But I got a duty. And since I have a duty, I have to come in faith. And I can't tell you what's really in my heart or going on in my back or my feet or whatever else that's in excruciating pain. And this morning I'm doing all right. I'm just, I'm okay. But it just, it's not fake. It's good manners. And it's faith. And it's love. It is loving other people to not show how you really feel. You know, people the last three weeks in the store or whatever in public who don't really know what's going on, or, or maybe they do, and they're expressing sympathy, but how are you doing? And I say, fine. What am I supposed to say to the store clerk or the restaurant waitress? Unload my, the whole story? No. 
that's not a lie to just say, I'm fine. And with more people who know, what I started to say is, when they'd say, how you doing? Well, I would start, I'd just begin to be a little more honest. I would just say, I know I'm fine. <laughs> I don't feel like it, but I know God is good, and this is not any true tragedy. It's just difficult. But I know I'm fine. And Wednesday of this week, I started to feel like I could think and concentrate again, and I noticed myself whistling and like, oh, hey, I'm back. <sighs> Last Sunday, I was not back. And if you were here, you know. But God is good. He's faithful. But it isn't inauthentic. It isn't hypocrisy to smile when you don't feel like it. Well, I don't know, Mitch. I'm an authentic person. I just tell it like it is. Yeah, well, your bad breath and your body odor are authentic. But you shower and brush your teeth so that we don't get the authentic you. So that you are publicly presentable. Come on. So you may not care how you stink, but the rest of us do. And it goes for your face, too. David says, God is the help of my countenance. Hello. It goes for your face. You, you might not be unaware of how offensive your complaining is or how depressing your presence is if you're always moping around and being the real you. Happy people attract other people and miserable people repel people. Well, Mitch, I'm just authentic. That's just fake. I call it like I see it and I say what I think and I don't hide my true feelings. I'm not fake. No, you're a baby. Babies let everybody know how they feel. Uh, bratty toddlers let everybody around know exactly how they feel. Part of being an adult is being able to control your feelings. Maturity is knowing when and in what scenario and to whom you can be fully honest without being a turnoff. I don't mean you have to not ever talk real to somebody. I mean, there's spouse and family members and pastor and true real friends that of course you can, and you have to, you must. You can't fake your way through life. I'm talking about real faith, not covering up and denying reality. I'm just talking about good manners and faith. Happiness is a moral obligation because it's not a feeling. It's not a psychological state. It's not an emotion. It is a moral obligation for us to be happy before God and before each other because to be chronically and repetitively unhappy is a sin. If you are chronically and repetitively unhappy, you're sinning because you're not worshiping God. You're not controlling your soul like David says. Soul, get a hold of yourself. Think on God until it changes my face. If you're chronically and repetitively unhappy, you're not doing that. And I understand for some of you that may be a lot to accomplish. And on bad days, it's a lot for any of us to accomplish. But it is a moral obligation. Ask anyone who was raised by an unhappy parent if unhappiness is a sin. If you, one of your parents was so chronically unhappy that they had to turn to alcohol or they were always after money, either in work or in gambling or chasing some scheme, if they're unhappy in their marriage and so adultery 
and divorce came into your family. Ask anybody with an unhappy parent, is unhappiness a sin? It's the root of all the actions we label sin, but really it's unthankfulness and unhappiness. Discontent. I'm not content with the spouse I have. I'm going to chase other people. I'm not content with the money I've got, so I'm going to either be a workaholic or I'm going to gamble away everything I've got or I'm going to chase this and that because I'm not happy. Somebody with a violent temper doesn't just have a violent temper. The root is unthankfulness, unhappiness. You know if you have an unhappy coworker who's constantly complaining, gossiping, there's other words we can't use in church, griping, that, that's sin. Happiness is almost always a choice. It's very rarely the natural feeling of the day. Sometimes it is. But usually it's going to be a choice. And people in every age of life, it's going to be a battle to be happy. Teenagers are famous for their existential angst, but people in their 40s and 50s are famous for midlife crisis, and elderly people are famous for complaining about their aches and pains. We have this fantasy that one day, someday, life will slow down, and someday we're going to you know, have, have this that we need, and we'll be content, and we have this escape fantasy Yeah, when Jesus comes. Really, the only naturally happy people you know are the people you don't know very well. Let me say that again. The only naturally happy people you know are the people you don't know very well. You just think they're naturally happy. You haven't heard about their battles and their demons and their storms. But the fact that you think they are naturally happy means they're doing it right. The more you know a person, the more you know how much pain they've had in their life. The happiest people that you admire as so loving and kind and content and mature and cheerful, you don't know their pain and their heartbreak and their demons. It never has anything to do with how well and easy their life has gone. It is only a response out of faith and love to God to rejoice on purpose. Don't ever think somebody that's always smiling and laughing and in a good way, there's people that are joking and goofy on purpose. They're just covering up their pain. I hope you understand what I mean. I'm talking about people who in faith, in reality, choose to rejoice and be content and thankful and happy before God and before the church and the world. Don't ever think those people have just had an easier life than you or it's just natural to their personality. When we choose to act happy, to be content, to speak thankfulness, when our behavior is intentional by faith, it is a choice to rejoice before God. It's an obedience to the command of God, to Hallel. To rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. It's a command. It has nothing to do with feelings. We've all had sad feelings and memories, and we fight demons, and we all have broken hearts. It's natural and easy to feel unhappy. It is unnatural to act happy. You know that it is immoral 
to follow your feelings if your feeling is lust. If it's toward some sexual sin. You know it's, it would be a sin to follow your feelings if it was suicidal tendencies or if it was rage or hatred or greed or a, a desire for alcohol or drugs or laziness. So I'm, I just don't want to get up and go to work today. That would be a sin. So it's also a sin to follow your feelings toward depression or stress or bitterness or some escape fantasy that you repeatedly dream about or just unhappiness. Again, it's nothing to do with circumstances or feelings because the Bible says Jesus was the man most acquainted with sorrow. There's nobody more brokenhearted than Jesus felt. And it's, the Bible says in Hebrews, he was tempted in every way. And again, I said this a few weeks ago, but no one has any sin addiction who will be able to face Jesus and say, Jesus, my temptation was stronger than yours. You just don't understand. I had to give in. Jesus will say, no, I was tempted worse than you were. And I did not give in. So Jesus was the saddest, most brokenhearted, sinfully tempted person ever. Do you have any picture of him when you read the Gospels that he went around depressed and angry? Do you think he had a frown on his face? That he was complaining and pouting? No. Do you think that when he went off by himself to pray in the night that he didn't cry? No way. He was bawling his eyes out. But not when he was ministering to other people. He didn't go around pouting and crying. He's attractive to billions of people because he acted in kindness and love even when he was exhausted. Even when he wanted to get away from people. Even when he was on his way somewhere and they interrupted him with their trouble. Even when he was lonely, when he was in bloody trauma, he's still taking care of other people in love and not talking about his own problems. On the worst day of his life, he is ignored by his closest friends, but he was patient with them. When he was under such stress that his sweat pores burst and he's bleeding out of his forehead... His friends reject him. But then he heals the one who comes to arrest him. And he peacefully submits to arrest and trial and torture. And he doesn't get angry. He doesn't argue. He doesn't defend himself when he's accused and lied about. When he was carrying his cross up the hill and the women on the side of the street are crying for him, he turns to him and says, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves. When he was wearing a crown of thorns, when his back was ripped open and he had three nails in his body, He takes care of his mom. And he saved the thief on the cross right next to him. If anybody in the history of the world had an excuse to have a bad day, it's Jesus. On this day. And what did he do? He gave away faith and love. There's zero focus on his own problems. He's got problems. He's got feelings, physical and emotional and spiritual, on top of everything else that you and I would be feeling in that exact situation if we were whipped, flogged, and nailed to a cross. He's feeling everything physically and emotionally we would be feeling, but he's also feeling the temptation that I could stop this with the blink of an eye. I could get out of it all. He said, if I just make a peep, my father will send 10,000 angels and it'll all be done. You and I could not have that temptation added to our problems. 
We couldn't get out of it if it was us. But he has to undergo it all, plus has to resist the temptation of, in all literal reality, I could stop this in the blink of an eye. And there is zero focus on his own troubles. He's only ministering to the people around him while he's hanging on nails. If that's faking, then I need to be more fake. If that's real faith and real love, then I need more real faith and real love. In John 12, Jesus says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. The word life is there three times, but in the Greek it's two different words. The first two times, love your life and hate your life is one word, and eternal life is a completely different word. Eternal life, that word, life, means your biological lifespan, like your body is living. Hello? Um, Jesus, when he says, hate your life, or love your life, you'll lose it, and if you hate your life in this world, you'll find it. He's not talking about you have to physically die to follow me, and he's not Uh, He's using the word hate and love there like when he says you have to hate your parents and your kids in order to follow me. He doesn't mean have emotional hate for them. He means they cannot be a priority compared to me. Hello? Like like, uh, you have to give that up. It's not a a burning, passionate um, despising of somebody or even your own life. But but there's, there's a word there that I just learned this week. I had no idea that in the Greek that was different words. The word is suke in the Greek. Suke is how you pronounce that. He who loves his suke will lose it, and he who hates his suke in this world will keep it for eternal lifespan. Any guesses on what suke is in English? Psyche. Psyche is the Greek. Suke is the Greek word for your soul, your emotions, your thoughts, your personality. Hello? Jesus this says, you don't have to hate your life circumstances and hate your, give up your lifespan for me. You have to give up your feelings. You have to give up your personality. Suke is psyche, your soul, what your thoughts, your will, your emotions, your personality. If you love your soul, you will lose it. If you give up your soul for me, you will keep it for eternal life. So obviously Jesus isn't saying your personality has no value. Hello? Like if you give it to me, you give it up in this life, I will keep it for you for eternal life. He's not saying you can't have a personality and you can't have feelings or that they aren't valuable or important, but you have to give it up now in order for it to be preserved for eternity. So let's translate this. He who loves his soul will lose it. He who hates his soul in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's an exact translation. He who loves his emotions, again, this is an exact translation. He who loves his emotions will lose them, but he who hates his emotions in this life will keep them for eternal life. Again, love and hate don't mean this passionate burning. I hate the way I feel. I hate myself. I can't have a personality. I just have to be this automaton that doesn't feel anything. Jesus says, I will keep your emotions and your soul and your personality for eternal life. It's that valuable, but you have to give up how you feel in this life. Not get rid of it, just give it to me. Don't choose right and wrong. Don't make decisions. Don't act on how you feel when it's not God. That's what this is. 
He who loves his personality will lose it. And he who hates his personality in this world will keep it. Again, Jesus isn't saying you can't have a personality. Just if, you, if your excuse is, well, that's just my personality. I'm just hot-headed. Or I'm just, I just have this natural tendency toward being uh, depressed. No. Give it up. Well, I just have such a terrible time being impatient. Well, maybe so. Get a hold of your soul. Just like David. Soul, come on. Shape up. We're going to worship God. I do not allow you to express yourself the way you naturally feel. This is you talking to your soul. I am going to rejoice in the Lord and I am going to obey. What I am not saying in any of this, don't hear this in any selfish application that you think, oh yeah, I need to hide my true feelings and be a well-mannered, well-behaved person in public so that people like me. No. That's pure selfishness. The, the goal is I am put aside my feelings and my circumstances and my pain and I get a hold of God so that I can be a blessing to the people around me. So that I can love them. So that I can be the gospel. So that I can carry good news instead of morosity. That's the purpose. The purpose, I'm not teaching you this this morning so that you can have better social skills. So that you can be more pleasant in Walmart and Safeway. Or on Sunday morning at church. It's not a selfish application so that people think you're nice. We're not here to be nice. We're here to love people in Jesus' name. I'm not talking about faking. I'm not, trying, I'm not telling you to deny your feelings and act like nothing is wrong when something is really, really wrong and you really need help. I'm just saying go to the right person in the right time, in the right circumstances. Don't wear that for the whole world to see. When I say happiness is a moral obligation, I know some of you heard well, that's just another thing I can't do. Because I can't be happy. I am depressed, Mitch. I have clinical depression. You're right. Everything I'm telling you this morning, you cannot do without Jesus Christ. This is not a self-control exercise. This is not you hiding your emotions. This is not you being fake. This is you going to God who will change my face. Nothing I'm saying is you doing it. It's Jesus. But it is not fake because I take my negative emotions and I don't deny them. I don't hide them from myself or God. I don't say, oh, I really shouldn't be feeling this way. I say, I am feeling this way. Here it is, God. You take it and you change my face because I can't. But I choose to hallel. I choose to rejoice. Because I have lots to be thankful for. I have lots that's going well. I have lots of people that do love me, even though this person is giving me a seriously hard time right now. I got 87 people that really love me. Thank you. I know my feelings exaggerate the problem. I know it's not as bad as I feel right now. So even though it's real, I'm not lying about it. I'm not covering it up. I choose to lay it aside and I'm yours, God. What do you want me to do? Nothing I'm saying to do today is you doing it by self-control or your own strength. 
it is only in Jesus Christ that any of this is going to get done. Because the people who try to grit their teeth and pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and they deny their problems and I don't need help, I can be okay, I'm tough, I'll just, I'll just, they crack. Hello? You know some people who've lost it. And you find out later they were really, really hurting and they never admitted it to anybody. So if you need counseling, get counseling. If you need help, if you need to cry, go for it. Nothing I'm saying is lie or deny. It is be honest and admit, but give it to God. Go to God until he changes your face. That's what I'm saying. Glorify God and be a spiritual blessing and an encouragement to others. Because there is tremendous pleasure in making another person happy in encouraging other people there is value there is pleasure there is the Holy Spirit what I'm talking about is not anything you can do in self-control it isn't fake this is I realize that how I feel is either it's a lie and exaggeration it's not as bad as I feel or yeah, this situation is really bad and I need help, but I'm going to God and I'm going to my pastor and I've got two or three friends that are praying for me and I know God is going to answer this so I don't have to go around depressed for the next three months speaking fear and pain and sorrow. I can put a smile on on purpose and share Jesus because I know God and these three or four people over here are praying for me and they're taking care of me and I'm going to be all right. Even though I don't feel like it right now, I'm not faking. This is faith. I'm not denying or avoiding dealing with reality. I'm dealing with reality in private, in the Spirit. And so I carry the Spirit of God with me rather than my own soul. I'm not talking about being selfish so that people don't know your problems. I'm not talking about hiding or faking. I'm talking about faith. Because when you share joy, there is so much pleasure. It's so fun. It's so good to encourage other people. You make the world a better place when you are intentionally happy. Notice the word intentional. Because it, it isn't the angry Christians that are out there sharing the gospel. What are the angry Christians doing? They're arguing about politics. And all oh, the world's gone to hell in a handbasket. And all oh, those Catholics, all oh, those Baptists, and all the other denominations that don't know what I know, they're all wrong and judging other people and complaining about other people and angry and stirred up and... They're in fear about the world situation. Or maybe they're unhappy for other reasons. Maybe they're unhappy about their own circumstances and so they're just too busy chasing other things in the world to be truly rejoicing in God. And they're wasting their lives away, wishing things were different, wasting their life chasing more money or a bigger house or whatever. The happy Christians that are content are the ones that are smiling they have something to offer other people. The happy Christians are certainly not pain-free. 
I know most of you in the room, and I know that some of you have lived through some horrible stuff. Very painful. The happy Christians have broken hearts too. They battle their own demons. But they have made a choice of faith. To rejoice in the Lord always. 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 Hallel. Yah. Regardless of how they feel or how they're being treated or what battle is going on behind the scenes, what wound may be actively bleeding. I don't mean don't get help. Get help. Be honest when you need help. Be honest with your spouse and your pastor and your friends. But respond in faith to God and his promises. I will be thankful. I will be content. I will laugh, I will smile, I will count my blessings, I will love people, and I will rejoice in the Lord. I will hallel before the Lord my God, the help of my countenance. I will rejoice, and he will change my face. Psalm 103, 1 to 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul. There he is, talking to himself again. This isn't toward God. David's talking to his own feelings. His own soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! No! Hallelujah! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nobody's standing and spinning yet. (laughs) Hallelujah. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Soul, come on. Bless the Lord. Psalm 94, verse 19. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Another translation, same verse. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comfort delights my soul. Notice David doesn't deny that he has lots of anxiety, pain, tears, depression. I truly think David was bipolar. I mean, you read the Psalms, and he is. He is. He's super high and exuberant, and he's super low. Like, I'm weary unto death, and everybody hates me. And like, everybody, David? I mean, he's truly, I think he is. He's bipolar. Oh, I don't mean that as an insult. It's It's my diagnosis. But he always grabs a hold of himself and says, I do not allow myself to feel this way, even though I feel this way. I'm not going to deny that I feel this way, but I don't allow it. I'm not okay with it. God, I'm going to find you until I rejoice, until I can bless you. So notice he's not denying his anxiety. It's great. I am full of pain or anger or tears or whatever your situation is. But God, I will find your joy and it will comfort me. Amen. Are you comforted? Are you rejoicing? Hallel. Go home in the privacy of your bedroom and try it. Just, just, I know you're not going to do it right here, right now, but it's a command. Spin and be deliriously happy. Jump for joy and dance before the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your joy. Thank you that you are happy, God. 
that you are rejoicing God and that you fill us with joy and encouragement and comfort. Lord, regardless of how we feel, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how we are being treated, regardless of what we are going through, no matter what we have lost, we have never lost you. And you are all that we need to rejoice, to be thankful, to be content. So we receive your command to hallelujah. We receive your command to rejoice in the Lord always. Thank you that you love us enough to teach us how, in the godly and right way, to take control of our emotions that exaggerate the problem and make it worse than it really is. We can put that aside and be thankful and content, rejoicing in you, thankful to remember all your benefits. No matter how we feel, there's always good things that you have done that we need to remember. Forgive us when we lose sight of that. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for being so faithful all of our lives. Lord, the old people in the room have a lot to remember, and the young people in the room have a lot to look forward to. Because you are good and you are faithful, and we trust you no matter what comes. So we don't need to be moved in a negative way. We are moved to joy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did for us and that even while you were doing it, you were full of love and faith and selflessness and ministry toward us. We owe you everything, Jesus. So we say yes and amen to your commands and your promises this morning. To Hallel you. Amen.